everybody. Welcome to the Wrestler Review. My name is Dylan Gott. Not joining me this week is John Hastings. We'll be joined by Christopher Hobson to do Road Dog Part 2, The Shit We Missed. We thought about doing this for a very long time, but um, basically when we do episodes, Christopher Hobson hands us a bunch of research and then instead we talk about porn. So we're going to actually talk about The Wrestler this time. And see, she ate a lot of people's needs who gave the show a bad review and will never listen again. So without any further ado, Christopher Hobson, everybody. Hello. Hello. Great. So, do you want me to dive straight in? Or you is, please uh, take a dive right in. So, Road Dog, here's where we got to. I will pull up our research uh, before this. But basically, I don't remember how we started the episode. But it probably was a long diatribe about how Red Tube is... Now the dirty porn site, and Pornhub's the classy one somehow, even though they're owned by the same thing, so figure that one out. But Brian Gerard James, of course, born May 20th, 1969, and as of this recording, news came out that he was been basically begging Tony Khan for a job, and Tony Khan's been saying no. What, what do you think of that, by the way? Seems a bit odd. I have no idea. I mean, I don't know. They're all weird and sad. Also, it's like... <laughs> Also, it's like, if you're like, here's what I do for a living. I'm a professional wrestling producer or road agent. Then you have so few options that if you get fired by one, then of course you'd panickedly ask the other one for a job. Like, this guy's got no fucking options. He's like in his late 50s, isn't he? Or Yeah, he started is. a podcast with an extremely annoying co-host. I shouldn't say that in public. <laughs> <laughs> he's 52. Yeah, he's 52, 53, Road Dog is, which for a 53-year-old now, he looks like dog shit. But um, I'll try and crack on. Um, There wasn't a lot about his um, childhood because, like, as you'll know, any of the second-generation wrestlers, they don't really talk about how they learned to wrestle. They were just like, my dad put me in an arm bar while I was still in the crib. So there isn't a lot there. Oh, the only thing he really said was he wanted to be a wrestler, but before he went into the Marines, he was six foot four and weighed 165 pounds. Only put weight on it when he actually went away, and that's how he ended up in the industry. Um, you mentioned he was in Desert Storm. The only really interesting wrinkle with that, I thought, was he was actually the member of 8th and I Marine Barracks, which were entirely ceremonial and just marched for uh, foreign dignities and did... Um, security at camp david so when they went to desert storm they all shit themselves they got uh they never thought they'd get cold <laughs> uh, so yeah security got... camp david for those of you who don't know that's literally <laughs> the president's camp so it's like hey we're gonna do secu- we're just gonna like sit outside this lake and hope no one storms the lake which they never will <laughs> so they got apparently they got given a training session on landmines and that was it they did they just thought they weren't coming back they were going to get blown up by a landmine which is not what you yeah. expect from a marine training <laughs> well the <laughs> gulf war too like i mean i don't know that like but it seems to be um the casualties were it was just that was the first use of drones they had that fucking war on cnn like they were not worried about losing that war they had so uh, much more money and I remember in the papers at this end, uh, this is English casualties alone, they managed to print the picture of everyone who died from our side in the Iraq war in a in a center page spread in the in the newspaper. Yeah. So that's that's the level of war we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, and then yeah, and we're just fucking ransacking people's houses. Cool, <laughs> fun. 
<laughs> more fun stuff um, fun light so, comedy <laughs> when he was in Smoky Mountain which of course you mentioned he met Robert Kellum who competed as the maestro in Smoky Mountain USWA and WWC and the pair built a ring at Kellum's house and basically taught each other to wrestle so that's the only real sort of training he mentions but he's already in the business for like a few years before that happens yeah, wrestling like everything else is just like at the end of the day it's a pyramid scheme like teaching people to wrestle is a pyramid scheme because the guys who get trained aren't the ones who already have someone in wrestling if you're already if you already have an in in wrestling like an uncle or a cousin or your dad does it then you just get taught by them and pay nothing or if you're just like you know some kid then you get fucking scooped for five thousand bucks by the maestro so he's in uh, Smoky Mountain and he's jobbing in WCW he never has a contract in WCW what he has is he gets paid $350 a week and allowed to work the indies um, so he wrestles Steve Austin while he's in jobbing in WCW uh, there was uh, one story from that where he Austin shot Brian off the ropes and called backdrop for the spot. And Brian says he's only ever taken two backdrops in his entire career. He's six foot four. He's um, he says like when he goes out on the road, everyone talks about how tall he is because he was standing next to people like Kane. But uh, basically, the one of the only times he took a backdrop, his legs hit the rope and he landed on his head. So Jesus. instead instead of taking the backdrop, he just front face locked Austin without telling him and suplexed him. And when they crumpled on the floor, Austin just said, "I guess you didn't like the call, kid." Um, he says jobs never bothered him. It's not really that interesting. Um, you didn't mention that uh, he he had a couple of matches against Terror Rising. Um, oh yeah, he wrestled <laughs> Triple H. Yeah. Um, Which is like it is so weird that I mean, only in the nineties would a dude be six foot four, and he's still uh, okay to be a jobber. Like if, if this dude is in wrestling now do they like have to make the road dog a power guy um we we were talking i was talking about this yesterday someone with tatanka as well you would imagine tatanka came out on uh, AEW now it'd be it'd, it'd be, be like wardlow. wardlow yeah he would yeah. be wardlow <laughs> how big is wardlow i want to put bets in how big do you think wardlow is i'd say he's six feet tall probably he's probably like literally me but like on steroids and a very strict diet. Now, I'm not saying that I like in any way have Wardlow's genetics. I'm just saying that like size-wise, he's probably like six feet two thirty. He's like an NFL running back. Yeah, I was gonna say, and this is gonna sound weird, but I I bet he's not that far off the same size as Bret Hart, which is like yeah, well, Bret weird. Hart is big. <laughs> yeah, people forget like how big Bret Hart is. I, I mean, I have stood in a ring with X Park, not to face him, but uh, he dwarfed me as well. So, really? I mean, yeah, yeah. How tall I are mean, you? I'm six foot, five eleven, six foot. So, X Park was that, that much taller than you? Uh, X Park dwarfed me. Yeah, so, uh, they're all so fucking weird. I remember my friend; he's five nine, and he was stood next to Christopher Daniels, and he said, "Lee's like I would like a power opponent for Christopher Daniels. Like that's how small <laughs> he is. I would be like using a choke slam." Um, so he what they worked a lot with he teamed up with Brad in WCW they worked a lot with Pretty Wonderful and he said that Paul Orndorff used to beat the crap out of him 
And cool. he, also, he also said, he tells on his story, uh, a story on his podcast about Paul Landoff hitting him so hard with the forearm he can't remember the rest of the match, which is like not very uh, respectful to the idea of CTE. Was... Also, like, <laughs> I fucking hate wrestling how they're like, this guy was tough in this planned match. He just punched me as hard as he could. Like, so he could beat up people. That's but that's a connection wrestlers always make where it's like, so he could beat people up in a real fight because when I allowed him to punch me in this fake thing, he did it for real and it hurt a lot. It's like, yeah, man, if you give anyone a free swing with a bat, they're going to hurt you. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Paul Orndorff with one arm did knock down Vader, but. But then Vader made a good point about that, which is like, what am I going to do? Fuck this guy up with one arm? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like. Well, I mean, uh, this is jumping ahead, but I might as well mention it now. Rodog also what we tells. Do. Don't make this linear. <laughs> Don't fuck this up by making it linear, Chris. Well, fuck. Rodog Ro also says that when he wrestled Vader for the first time, Vader just beat the shit out of him, and he had to ask his brother what to do about it. And his brother said, "You got to win his respect. You got to beat the shit out of him." So he just flipped one of the spots and landed as many punches as he could to his head, and after that point, he was fine. So exactly the same thing happened with Vader. I love Vader because I think that mask is the best one in wrestling history because it's literally like this guy's in a muzzle. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is like I, yep. I, I never liked the connection when Vader would take his mask off during the match. It was just because he was a f tired piece of shit. Like I always thought if he took the mask off, it should be like all the muzzles off. Now he's fucking crazy. But um, yeah, it sounds like Vader is A through Z, a guy who you wouldn't want to work with because he's bigger than you and just punches you as hard as he fucking can. But it, also, fascinatingly, he seems to be a, a soft kitten backstage from what I've heard, or unless I've got that wrong. Yeah, I mean, the Foley book where it's like Vader buying the expensive sunglasses and then eating like eating like a full sub in the front of Foley's car talking about how excited he is about wearing the sunglasses. Um, but like also, you know, he's a bully. So yeah, once again, yeah. these are, this is a planned match. Like um, you're taking free shots on someone in a, as part of a plant. Just learn to throw a fake fucking punch. It's not that hard. Anyway, continue. No, it, Sorry. It is the whole idea of what you're doing. Um, it is the entire, and road dog has good fake punches. Yeah. Um, so he once almost beat the shit out of Sags backstage because he heard him. He didn't really know the nasty boys, and he heard him badmouthing his bad his dad. Uh, so he grabbed the boss man's nightstick and sort of creeped around the side of him in a pincer movement. Dennis Knight had to stop him. He's got quite the temper, but you only really uh, in his early days does Road Dog. He has a lot of run-ins with people. So. During his time in WCW, he forms a band with Nick Patrick, Max Payne, or Man Mountain Rock, and an independent wrestler called Dr. Squash, and I think there's a few other members, and that was called Living Insanity, and they had an open house because they wanted the uh, the band to be something on, on uh, WCW, but Bischoff said, no, we're a wrestling company, I, I don't understand what you're trying to do. So Man Mountain Rock got them a tryout with the WWF. That's how he gets into the WWF, and he, he has two parts to his tryout. It says on Wikipedia, and he, this does happen, that he, he beats Barry Hardy in a dark match. But at the same time, he goes backstage uh, with Vince, Gerald Briscoe, Pat Patterson, and Bruce Pritchard, and he sings while uh, Max Payne plays acoustic guitar, and they sing What's Going On by Four Non-Blondes and Plush by the Stone Temple Pilots. And apparently, this excites everyone because they've been looking for a singing wrestler for some time. That's crazy. It's like, 
here's how we replace Hogan. Someone that can sing. It doesn't really come up a lot throughout the... I mean, obviously, it's going to be central to the gimmick he's about to go into, but after that point, they don't really use it. Well, it seems like maybe the roadie was... And this is going to sound weird, but like... In Vince's mind, is the unrealized potential of the Honky Tonk Man. Because you remember, the Honky Tonk Man was supposed to be a babyface character, and then they made him a heel because he couldn't sing and people were just annoyed by him. But Vince just keeps always keeps those nuggets in his head. It's great that there's an alternate reality where like the Honky Tonk Man comes in after the Attitude Era when Vince has consolidated the wrestling world, and we just have to watch the Honky Tonk Man be a babyface. Because uh, Vince is like, no, he's a fucking baby face. Fuck you. Stop fucking booing him. I, I want to be in the, that meeting, having seen his shoot interviews. In fact, having recommended his shoot interviews for people who want a bit of insanity. That meeting where Vince and the Honky Tonk Man were sat there and he was just talking to him, getting to know what his character was. And he went, yep, this guy's a born baby face. Where did that come from? Like... <laughs> <laughs> the fucking crazy... I mean, but Vince is nuts. I mean, as we're going to learn, like... We did that whole year on McMahon. This We're recording this a couple weeks ahead. By the time we're recording this, there could be another... Apparently, there's another Wall Street Journal thing coming out, and it's going to be, like, worse than the other two. Which, remember, like... I always... I've said this maybe on the show before, but we all thought when the next Hogan thing came out, he's like, yeah, he fucked Bubble the Sponge's wife. What could the next thing be? Oh. Stuff that's so racist, it's just, like, the Ku Klux Klan's thesis statement on their website, where it's like, I do not write this down think black people are equal to white people like that's what he's <laughs> write this down no slang i don't want to have any slang i don't want to use any racial slurs because then i'll dilute the point i'm trying to make i mean we are superior i'm an irishman <laughs> my name is vincent kennedy mcmahon write this down i mean you can cut this out if you want because i don't know if it's controversial but imagine we were sat together and one of us did something and your reaction to it was i will pay you three million dollars to never tell anyone that that happened (laughs) (laughs) how bad would that thing have to be you know like not even that i have a contract ready because i anticipated doing something this heinous He just must have, like, because they said that Michael Jordan used to do that in the 90s, is that he would cheat on his wife, and he basically was like, the girl would, like, sign the NDA, and then they would have sex, but he would never have sex with them before the NDA. Like, they wouldn't, they'd be like, oh, I want to sleep with Michael, or I want to meet Michael Jordan, and then their lawyer, which, this, this, it's actually scarier than what Vince McMahon did, but imagine, like, hey, I want to meet, like, like, your superheroes, you, like, you meet one of your heroes, uh, whatever. And then they were like, imagine, you know what, reverse the genders. Imagine if you, Christopher Hobson, were like, I'm going to meet Beyonce today. And you're like getting backstage because Beyonce is into you. Like, you know, Beyonce is into your type. (laughs) And then you have to, and then Beyonce's lawyers are like, sign this NDA. You'd be like, Beyonce is going to fucking kill me. Like, Beyonce is just going to spit in my mouth and then cut my dick off and throw me at a window. I think that people just must not, like, some people must not register what an NDA is. You know, like, legally, I need you to not talk about what's going to happen. It must just not click in their brain. If you talk about what is going to happen, you're fucked. Like, you're fucked forever. Um, Other thing I wanted to mention, though, his dad didn't just get him in the WWF, or he didn't have much help from his dad then. His dad just kind of was like, I guess if you have that many sons in wrestling, you can't help everybody. 
it's uh, I think it's always unclear with, uh, with this when you've got a, a family with this many wrestlers and generations in it what's actually happened like I said at the beginning it's it's just like it's just like yeah I was going to be a wrestler was basically it and, and I guess at the just, end of the day you already have the help because you're yeah. Bob's kid do you know what I mean where it's like you already know everybody from your childhood and you just get these connections because you already have the yeah, you're already you're born with the fucking in. Well, Bob, uh, he, the only thing he says he says his he says his dad's great and he was a great man to look up to. So, but the only other thing he says it was Bob was more proud of him going to Desert Stone than he was his you know his New Age Outlaws run, which is kind of normal. Well, that makes sense. So, yeah. So I'd be more, a, I mean, I don't know which one I'd I'd be more proud of the New Age Outlaws because even though it's just basically like. Hey, I'm monetized calling people gay. <laughs> it's better than like killing people <laughs> in a third world country who just try to live their life. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, what oh, I mean is oh, that must be crazy the day where your fucking country figures out you have oil. Like, oh no, we're going to be here in days. Fuck. Hide the oil. Don't sell it. Put it back in the earth. Yeah. And. Um- it is it, I, I, what I mean by making that point is it, it doesn't seem like a Grizzly Smith situation. He seems to have a normal relationship with his father, by, which is you know, a crazy accomplishment. Learn. Yeah, I mean, he never talks about that. What I'll link to this, and um, I don't know if saying I find this industry interesting is the right thing to say, but he never talks about. Everyone else seems to have a story about how they got into drugs, whereas. Road dogs just like yeah, I was just on pills, man, for right, right, right from the beginning. Um, and well, I, it makes I just, sense. It's like the late I mean, I, if you've been to if you've been to Desert Storm and you've grown up in a wrestling family, yeah, I don't mean to. <laughs> but also, like this is the other um, baseball. Major League Baseball had a huge problem with cocaine and amphetamines up until I'm assuming they still do, because you just need to be. Um, you're you're you need to be sharp all the time because baseball is just a series of like fine moments. I assume cricket's like this too, where it's like it's just a series of defined moments. The action isn't constantly happening. And Desert yeah. Storm seems like the same thing, which is weird, but like you're just sitting there and then someone's shooting at you. Like there's that switch where it's like you're on now. So it seems like a breeding ground for speed and amphetamine. Well, I, as, as well, and this seems like an odd point to make. Like, I, I'd always associated him as a heavy cocaine user, and he, he does admit that he used cocaine heavily. But he said he, what he was really into, like every, they always seem to say, was downers, like somers and painkillers and stuff like that, which I didn't, I didn't know. But he, he said, like, I, he has anxiety, and I'm like, damn straight, you've got anxiety. But you went to Desert Storm. How could you not come back with anxiety? <laughs> Um, also, it's like a fucking thing. Like me and John have the same thing. Where you know, when you're in the gig economy, it's not like Uber. You don't just turn on a fucking thing and then oh, now I'm wrestling again. It's like every single, you're just waiting for a phone call. Like you don't even have the email to like refresh. You just look at the phone all day and wonder if you can pay your bills or you're gonna have to get a job. Like, and the other one thing about Road Dog that I guess made him it was a good decision, but also like kind of sets him apart from the others is that. He went to the Northern promotion. Like, he really very, very briefly was in WCW, but he caught on with Vince really quickly and then was in the Northern promotion. He didn't use his dad's, like, any of his dad's influence. Even when, uh, because I did this research with, you know, one interview on pills and then the rest not on pills to have some balance. But even when he was on pills and uh, saying some of the 
some of his uh, sizzling hot takes, as you'd say. Um, he was still like just wanted to work in WWE, WWF. He didn't seem to yeah, ever have any aspirations to go anywhere else. And he's exactly that style of wrestler, not to go all Meltzer as well. You know, like he, he, he's, if you watch his interviews, he's, he's fully aware that he has no physique. And he said, oh, if I had to have a physique, I'd just get another job. Um, you know, he is <laughs> perfectly suited for the WWF. In fact, I'm sure I remember because it was the dark days, it's the early days of the internet when when Road Dog was around. He's got a bit of crossover that McMahon was really really high on him, and at one point, I'm sure they were they were talking about how far he could possibly go. I mean, he he, you know, was in the way of that. But uh, I don't know if at one point they were actually trialing him when he was the IC title to see if he could go that one state stage higher. But I don't. I think that as far as body goes. You kind of cap yourself at Jake the Snake for him, just because he yeah. is like of like pretty much exactly Jake the Snake, but with a good father. <laughs> like he's just if Jake the Snake had a good father, he'd just have a crazy bad pill addiction. Like that's it. Um. Oh, you'll like this. I think you'll like this. So they have a spot with uh, William Shatner uh, on Raw, which uh, Rodok. Quite high on for getting them over. So um, Shatner's um, Shatner, Bret Hart's having his feud with Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett's involved. And uh, Shatner basically slams the roadie on a turnbuckle, and he, uh, Road Dog credits this with getting him over. But backstage, he and Shatner had a little verbal in altercation in Vince's office. Uh, where he, he fucking belie- cussed out William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, he said he'd been drinking. And he said he knows he'd been doing other stuff, and he christened Sh- Shatner Whiskey Nose Willie. So, so wait, <laughs> so <laughs> William Shatner came in fucked up. This is the crazy thing, though, where it must be like you're a celebrity and you're like everyone gets you pumped up, and you're kind of mad at yourself that you have to do this wrestling thing for money. But then, like the wrestlers will not take any subtle slights against their thing, and they just want you to. They just want to fucking beat the shit out of you. But then Vince basically makes it so they don't. There's a lot of these one-off wrestling guys from I mean, the '90s who you th- it, who you can see you're like, oh, you're treated like shit backstage, or they preemptively treated you like shit, even though you weren't a dick. I mean, I've seen some of the films that Shatner has been in. Though, like uh, he's done a lot worse than wrestling. Oh, buddy, he was in a. So there's this very. You'd only know him if you were literally Canadian, but Louis Rial, who uh, led a um, indigenous revolt in um, eighteen, maybe eighteen hundreds. It must be in the eighteen hundreds, um, late eighteen hundreds. He led an indigenous revolt in what we now call Manitoba, which is just one province over from where Brock Lesnar resides in Saskatchewan. And uh, William Shatner was in a movie about Louis Rial, and um, he's um, maybe the maybe the most flippant thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Like, it's crazy. It was produced by the Canadian government, and William Shatner's there just like... You could see him reading the script. <laughs> like, he looks into the camera, and then he just looks over at the script and doesn't, like, say the script. He reads it mentally and then says that into the camera. It's fucking awesome. I'm completely digressing, but I guess that's the format of the show. I've seen him in a... Um, you know, are you aware of the big-budget Krampus film that has a... Is it Adam Scott? Is Adam Scott the right... From um, Parks Big and Rec, in it. Krampus film. Krampus. Um, Krampus. Uh, I'll look it yeah, up right now. Um, well, there, there's one big budget Krampus film that has 
Krampus, of course, is the evil yeah. Santa from Germany. Yeah, and then there was a whole bunch of cheap ones, and William Shatner's in one of them as a uh, drunk radio host while Krampus goes mad during the night. That's one of the worst films I've ever seen, and I review wrestling on a <laughs> weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've seen the power bomb, the power bomb, <laughs> Masters of the Power Bomb, fucking vignette from the nineties. <laughs> so trying to get back on track um no. but not linking it to william shatner anyway in any way whatsoever so no once segues when... needed by the way you can just start talking <laughs> Jarrett was wrestling razor ramon with roadie on the outside and they were doing the spot where um roadie stands on the apron ignores and and uh, razor beats him down and he was lying outside and someone was coming up to him and then he thought was some sort of rib and started punching him with light punches he thought were worked but then it turned out that it was actually a fan and uh jarrett and razor had to shout get him so he beat the shit out of this fan and in the the resulting Ferrari, the fan's wife jumped the barricade as they were arresting him and punched Tom Pritchard in the face, giving him a black eye, and they ripped Jesus. Tom Pritchard for weeks after afterwards. So, ha ha, woman punched you. Is that the rib? <laughs> yeah, that's the rib. Uh, thanks so, for helping. Just like ha ha, you got punched. Man, yeah. jocks have sick sense of humor. It's fucking good sense of humor. <laughs> um. So the reason that he uh, the reason he just disappeared from WWF TV at this point is that Jarrett and Brian were moaning to each other about payoffs backstage all the time so like mm -hmm. there was for example there was one match that they were going to tour in Germany that was I think um, it was the Rodian and Jarrett against Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash uh, but Shawn Michaels got injured so they had to sub in Sid into that tag match and they said he made it, the tag match worse which you can well imagine <laughs> and uh, got paid about six six times more than them so they were steadily winding each other backstage up backstage and Jarrett was talking about walking out after the in your house so in this in your house um, he's facing Shawn Michaels for the IC title and what's meant to happen is the road he's meant to turn on Jarrett at the end of the match and then they're meant to have a three way for the IC title but instead, Jarrett just storms out, and uh, Rhodey goes with him, and he he says it's about pay, but it's also he got drug tested on that day, uh, saying he was dirty as hell to boot, and he felt he was being victimized, but says, in retrospect, maybe not, because he was the new guy and also on drugs all the time, so of course he was going to get tested. That's so... But also, you're the Rhodey. Yep. Hey, I'm the roadie. I need more money. Like if Fandango was like, give me more fucking money. And even Fandango would have a way better case for more money because Fandango was over. So that's actually a bad, that's actually a bad example. I can't think of anyone who's got like a worse character than the roadie. Like I'm a it's, roadie that fights. It's a bad and character. Not even like a real roadie. Like a real roadie would be kind of intimidating. Just a guy covered in dirt and just like weird jeans who like just wants to tell you about living off the land or like how to not pay taxes like that's a bad that's a good character you just like ro real roadies are just like five eight they never stop smoking a cigarette they literally never take a breath that doesn't have nicotine in it and they fucking like just tell you about bands they open for and then a lot like shoot interviews tell you about funny stories that are just crimes that they've seen committed <laughs> Haha, <laughs> I've got this funny story where I smuggled an eight year old into Russia. Haha, <laughs> prank. 
it's not just a bad character. It's a bad character at the time when someone's about to stand up backstage and point out how shit all this stuff is as well. Yeah. Mantar had had enough. Mantar yeah. needed a better payoff. <laughs> so he goes and he tours Germany where he said he got jacked up on the sauce just to survive as everyone beats the shit out of you. And then he went to USWA because he had a hookup with Jerry Lawler. Of course. Um, and he was living in Mississippi with his soon-to-be ex-wife. He, he, he had a marriage. He had what he called a military marriage in that um, he got married because they were both scared the sh- scared shitless he was going to die and then came back and they were like, oh, maybe this wasn't the best decision. He yeah. uh, partnered with Tracy Smothers. He won the USWA heavyweight title and the TV title. He had a feud with Brian Christopher that he said did really well and taught him about ticket sales for the first time. He saw directly how he'd... Uh, affected the gate and before that he was sort of going through the motions but that taught him a lot he had his feud with Jarrett in USWA which he says you know pretty much was a waste because they had great matches but no one wanted to see it and they should have done it in the WWF Mm -hmm. he said he was never contacted by ECW and he was never contacted by WCW though Jarrett Jarrett went he he reasoned that even back then you know that people knew he was trouble you know basically so they didn't reach out. It's interesting to him. that he wasn't contacted by ECW because he seems like the perfect dude for ECW. Where it's like he's got a good work rate. You can hide him by just smashing shit over people's heads. But also, he'd be a weird thing where it's like you see Road Dog versus Taz, and Taz is like dwarfed by Road Dog. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. so it'd be like a, there's some of those guys where it's like just you can't be that much bigger than my big guys. Which is Billy Gunn's like that too. I feel I'm like anytime I see Billy Gunn on AEW TV, I'm like. This guy doesn't add as much as he takes away because he's so fucking, so much fucking bigger. Like, Billy Gunn was like, probably be like twice the size of Wardlow if they were in the same ring. Uh, I, as uh, a digression, but I, I didn't see ECW growing up. Um, I saw Taz no, for the first time in the WWF, and um, he came out, and I was like, this guy's great, but, but he's three foot tall. Like, what's, what's going on here? You know, but that makes just... that's what the thing always thing was like. It made sense with his name because the yeah. Tasmanian Devil wasn't huge in the fucking Looney Tunes. The whole thing is like this guy's short and stout and he can throw people. So like, why does it matter how big he is? But it shouldn't have mattered how big anyone was. But you know, that's no, not it who should. he was running. <laughs> Road Dog. Uh, what else happened with Road Dog? Did he fucking? Over. Oh right. So Road Dog, he comes into the WWF. They give him the real Double J gimmick which he says is the shit but he'd have come out dressed as the turd called the turd and used the sphincter bomb as a finisher if he meant he could wear his baby could wear diapers and eat well which I thought was a good quote Um, uh, he said he liked S.O. Rios Rios, but he was incredibly homophobic but maybe that's why he liked him which I assume was a joke but that was in a pre pilot interview So there was someone who was so homophobic that they were too homophobic for the road dog? Yeah. A guy who, like, said so much fucking buck wild shit in TNA when it's like, oh, hey, we're not going to check you. Uh, you could just say whatever you want on a promo. Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to try and get the crowd to kill this man for being gay. Oh, then there's a whole, I've, I think I can do this off my head, and I've just flipped down in the research. It's like, it's taught me doing this on a microphone what you have to go through, so... Um, <laughs> oh yes, yes. 
Uh, so the only time he refused to do a job was when he, the original ECW invasion, when Rob Van Dam and Sabu were going to come in, they were going to beat him in a match and beat him down. And uh, Road Dog basically said, "That's I'm going to be here tomorrow. Why are you putting those people over? Which, I mean, I guess it's, it's a logical point. But, uh, was he still the it, roadie? Uh, no, he's, he's Jesse James. The real James. double J at that point. Yeah, the real double J at this point. Okay, um, yeah, I think the real double J can take a fucking loss. Yeah. <laughs> guys, but anyway. But uh, this broke down into Vince telling Rob Van Dam and Sabu one finish to the match and the, the ro- and Jesse James the other, which infuriated him. So he went to Gerald Briscoe and said, tell Vince if he wasn't man enough to tell one of them a finish they didn't like, he wasn't going to do the match at all. So they switched him to a three-minute squash match, the Brooklyn Baller. But as Jesse James walked out, Vince just walked past him and shouted, don't you ever doubt my manhood again. So then Road Dog goes to Vince's office after the match and waits there all night, and Vince never appears at all. So he ends up ringing him first thing the next morning and say, you ring me, you fly me out to Titan Towers, Titan Towers so I can whip your ass in the parking lot. And uh, in which case, apparently, Vince backs down and... This is pilled up roadie, by the way. I think it's fair to say says that he thinks Vince actually respected him a lot more after that running, uh, which kind of fucked. Yeah, I know because you read that and you don't doubt it either. You don't, you, you know, he said that, and I was like, yeah, he probably did. He probably did respect you more after you did all of that. Once you again, know? you did the re- research for the year events. Remember that, like, this guy's childhood was literally race fights and molestation. Like <laughs> Vince McMahon is fucked. <laughs> Um, so, so then he's, you know, he begins a, a feud stroke. He, he gets all the stuff the honky tonk man goes, goes on. He has one run in with the honky tonk man where he tells yeah, honky. Cause he was, was he managed by, no, uh, Billy Gunn was managed by the yeah. honky tonk man. Yeah. It, fucking crazy. No, it's like no, the Legion of doom was like fucking, <laughs> or, well, oh no, your character is an actual hawk. You're an, <laughs> you have to fly, pretend to fly to the ring. Well, I think basically what happens, I can sum up this, is uh, the Rockabilly and Jesse James have have a gimmick so bad that no one backstage actually gives a shit what they're doing to the to the point where they'd go out for matches on house shows. They'd try and both try and pop the crowd, and whoever popped the crowd loudest got to win the match. That's how little supervision they had. They were deciding who won the match themselves. Um, there's a whole storyline... Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a whole storyline where Honky Tonk Man's going to take one of them on as a protege, and that, and basically the whole time they're uh, lobbying Vince Russo backstage to say, you know, can we become a tag team because we just want to be a tag team. Which Brian says later on is one of his pet peeves because you don't come up to creative backstage and say that you have to have a story as well. So, um, but they lobby him and then. Uh, let me get. He worked Brian Pillman. Obviously, it was extremely sad because he used to hang out with Brian Pillman, Brian Lee, um, Brian Billy, Brian Pillman, and Brian Lee was three Brian's, which would be difficult enough when you're not on pills. Um, all hung out together, so obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, oh, it's extremely sad that yeah. that guy who I used to do tons of pills with. Like you know what I mean? Like that is sad, yeah. but it's like. That must have been a wake-up call for him at least some point. Well, he said it wasn't. He said mm. he's, he said he, he's like very honest about. Now. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was like, well, that's not. He just thought that was him. It isn't going to be me. You know. That's fucking crazy. That's yeah. fucking insane. 
But yeah. I mean, that's that's the warrior's mentality. That's what those Instagram memes are all about. Rise and grind. 3 a.m. on pills. I don't remember the rest of the day. My schedule is 3 a.m. question mark. Bed. Sometime. Wahlberg schedule. Yep. So any Not stories so. about the New Age Outlaws or anything? Or is this... Yeah. Um, and uh, is the source material for this I Love Cocaine and I'm in TNA? No, no. Um, we, we've got... Um, so we, we go into the New Age Outlaws... I mean, I basically told you how the New Age Outlaws happened. They they they, they lobby Vince Russo, Russo over and over again, um, and um, Road Dog immediately changes his look. If you look at when he comes out, the honky tonk man's trying to get Rockabilly to um, join up with him. Uh, Road Dog's got a black and white, more modernised look. He gets Billy to join up with them. They become a team. Um, the oh you didn't know your ass better call somebody that was something they used to say backstage so I think um, Brian Lee and the, the the racist twins the Harris brothers they uh, <laughs> they used to say that so he used that and he used Michael Buffer as the inspiration for the rest of his uh, um, spiel coming out so then they go into a feud with the um well, they don't go straight into a feud. They wrestle the the new Blackjacks, which uh, oh, Rod yeah. loved because he was a massive Barry Windham mark. Um, but then they start wrestling with the Legion of Doom. Um, when he was on pills, he said the Legion of Doom were exactly as dangerous as you'd imagine. Um, when he was off pills, he said, you know, maybe we were the younger team and they were the older team and maybe they had to worry about us. And he said that once during a match, Hawk just full punched him in the face and he just stormed <laughs> out and went backstage. And uh, Jack Lanza they had said... they lose for the first time in their career. Yeah, People yeah. forget that. Hey guys, thanks very much for donating to the Patreon. Uh, we're trying to do a drive to get to 100 subscribers and at 100 subscribers, we'll think of something to do. But if you guys donate to the Patreon, we have... $5, $10, 20 or 25 if you're really crazy people that you guys can donate to. Thank you so, so much for donating to Patreon. Uh, it's really made this even more worthwhile than just talking about Barry Horwitz's dick already is. I want you to know how much I love all the Patreon listeners. I was quietly reflecting on my love while Dylan was doing that. Let's be honest. Great commercial. He said Animal was not happy about them losing, and he could understand, even when he was full on pills, he could understand why, you know, like, because he's, he's obviously he's got a sense of heritage about him and the business, so he probably would say, well, they are the road warriors. Um, so he, he came backstage and Jack Lanza asked what the hell he was doing, and he said, oh, Hawks just punched me in the face. He said, well, Bill, I guess Billy can take the finish then, huh? And he just said, no, I'll go out back there. I'll go back out in a minute and went back out. Um, so they win the tag titles and then they go on to the, the, have the, um, dumpster feud against Cactus Jack and Terry Funk has changed to Charlie. So Road Dog says he feels like he made it when he won the tag titles off the Road Warriors, which by the way, I neglected to mention, he, because Animal didn't like the fact he won the tag titles, he, he wore the tag title backstage to wind him up the entire time, including in the cafeteria, he wore it in the airport, and he set it up in his car as well, so everyone could see it while he was driving around. Road Dog uh, did. Road Dog did, yeah. Road Dog did that to make Animal mad. That seems yeah. like really kind of like opposite behavior. It was like, oh, I can understand why they were antagonizing. I was directly antagonizing yeah. them the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, he said in the match against uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, 
they tried to beat the shit out of Terry Funk and got nowhere with it whatsoever. His actual quote is, we wanted to prove we were the young bucks, but Terry Terry Funk took over and proved that we were just the young fucks. So, nice. Um, but he says that... I don't that, understand, though. Like, So in the planned fight, they punched him for real, and then yeah, Terry I, Funk I, punched them better for real? Yeah. Like, that's so... Wrestling's so fucking stupid back then. I mean, I get it, kind of, because like you do need that dissidence where you're like, yeah, I mean, I might be playing a human toaster, but I can really fight, and that just like sells your character somehow. Whereas now it's like, oh no, it's a sequence, and there's, yeah, you know, parts of this play that we're doing. Um, Road Dog and and Billy Gunn did not get on uh, backstage because Road Dog was pills and Billy Gunn liked to work out and the first time they shared a hotel room together <laughs> uh, Billy w- Billy just woke up to Road Dog pissing in the air conditioner so they didn't uh, share a hotel <laughs> room for a while after that we didn't get uh, along because Billy Gunn <laughs> was one of the first people to do keto and I was one of the first people to do lean um, they were extremely excited to get to DX as you would be and they got courted um, they said like um uh, I didn't get to his uh, podcast where he might have done a, a come to Jesus on the Nation of Domination skit. So um, I'm not sure that what he sucks. said there, but he, but he certainly said in the oh, pills yeah, the interview. Blackface. The, we yeah. didn't even talk about the blackface. <laughs> um, he wasn't he in that, blackface. Ms. Ark when uh, fucking, good Lord. Yeah. Um, this is off pills as well. He hated Sable. He only talked to her three times and he was mocking Johnny, uh, mocking Matt, Mark Miro for his uh, pyro backstage, knew from being Johnny Bibad. And he said, Why don't you just stick a sparkler up your butt and run to the ring? And Rena said, Well, at least he's got pyro. And Brian either said or thought, Fuck you, and never spoke to her again. <laughs> hey, your pyro sucks. At least he has pyro. Fuck you. That doesn't sound like, um, that sounds like that Miss Mar- Rena Miro hit a nerve. super easily and you got pissed i mean there's a lot of uh, like this sums up um so he had a couple he had a run-in with steve austin about steve austin refusing to work jeff jarrett but he had a second it wasn't really a run-in with steve austin it was a run-in with jim ross because jim ross had upgraded deborah to first class which you know like brian says he's, he's fine but have your tag champions in first class as well so he went to jim ross and jim ross said he hadn't um, he hadn't actually upgraded Deborah, and then he found out he had. So he called him a fat lying piece of shit and said, <laughs> if half, half, he said if half of his face hadn't fallen fallen off, he'd punch him in the other cheek and Jesus told him to never Christ. speak to him again if ever needed anything to have someone else call his house. But he then also he flew first class from that point on. So. Threaten like, your boss. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is this is the crazy thing about Road Dog. What we're learning is his wild threats really do get him advanced in his industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's all set up for that. So, uh, the I think the one story from the invasion of WCW, the listeners of this podcast will want to hear, was that he bought weed from a Rastafarian during the segment, forgetting he was mic- mic'd up the whole time. When? Like... While they were while they were filming the DX invasion, he went off at some point. When gotta score me some weed, forgot he was mixed up, and everyone in the truck heard him buying the weed. Oh, and also they they almost got arrested as well because there were bags of pills in their uh, renter car, and they just had to claim they weren't there. So, Jesus. What... So wait, when they when they got that's so funny. <laughs> 
So when they were on Turner property, they were like, oh, send yeah. the cops out. And then they forgot to like, oh, we have like a distributor's amount of Somas in the backseat. That's uh, so fucking good, man. So when he did his, uh, he didn't like working solo at all. But when he, the first time he was ever comfortable working was his hardcore run. Um, but eventually they just got begged to get back together. I mean, this is when you go in. I won't go through the dates because it'll just be tedious for the audience. But you Was know, there any good got... TNA stuff? Like, I... All the TNA stuff seems to be insane, where it's like, we're going to give you this money, and you yeah. can kill anyone you want because <laughs> like, um, we don't write the show. There's a, I didn't get a lot of good TNA stuff. Uh, I guess, like, why would he do a TNA retrospective? Yeah. That might be coming up. Just to be like, put some shine on him now, just to, before maybe he gets hired back. Or it's, yeah, it's sad, but he was super good friends with Owen Hart for the six months before Owen Hart passed away. And when he, when they were out over the edge, he they, they, he had to wrestle Billy after it happened, and he saw that Owen was dead before he went to the ring. Jesus saw, fucking Christ! So. Um, and he says he's got an 8 by 10 frame picture of Owen in his house. He says he's only got a picture of two wrestlers, him and Owen Hart. And he said... Did he'd... Meltzer <laughs> judge the rest of that show? I don't know. I, I, I can't well, imagine. Uh, segment 6, man plummets <laughs> to death. Segment 7, Road Dog and Billy Gunn have a lackluster match. Two stars. <laughs> Unmotivated. Because their friend had just died and they just learned it. Fine. But that doesn't mean you have to do a rest hold for three whole minutes. And I'll be honest. I'll be honest in terms of preparing this show. So I, if we go behind the curtain, uh, I had 17 pages of research. 17. Went, 17. But I hadn't even begun to cover because this is a man that, that, that shits shoot interviews. So I could oh. probably have got another... 17 out of it and then when i deleted what you'd covered in the show uh it went down to 16 <laughs> <laughs> but but there is a lot of dates of wrestling matches i think we i think we've covered the fun story so far i think in 2001 it just gets dark he said he went backstage he, he, he went backstage he was he was divorcing from his wife he said he knew he was on a path to death and he asked to take some time off. Uh, he had like, what, you're fired then. Yeah, yeah. He had what he thought was a positive meeting. And then uh, three days later, Ross rang him up and released him. So, and, and he says when he's on pills, and I don't know if he... Because he says some things when he's on pills, and I think you said this in the interview where you're like, well, that's that's not wrong. I mean, something I didn't read about the Nasty Boys was... Um, he told the Nasty Boy story in both the Pills era and the non-Pills era. And in the Pills era, he says that the Nasty Boys were pieces of shit that should never have drawn a dime in the industry. And in the post-Pills era, he says, we're all good friends now, and I went to Liverpool with them a few weeks ago. So there's like a stark <laughs> difference. But that's the thing, though. This is the thing I think about. Like, like some of your source material is shoot interviews, which is yeah. good, but like... There is a certain amount of wrestlers where it's like, this is another thing that I'm performing on. I am a performer, so I'm going to perform this shoot interview, and I want to do another one, so I have to make mine good enough that they have me back for another one. 
Well, I think uh, if I'm again going to go behind the the curtain, you know, it is a choice to do it off shoot interviews. But when you are researching wrestling as opposed to every everything else, you just yeah. go in. No one fucking cares the, about wrestling. So yeah. it's all well, no history. one cares about wrestling, but also everyone's a liar, and everyone's yeah. job is to be a liar as well. So you know, it's the steroid trial yeah. where like the U.S. government's like, well, they'll tell the truth. They're on the stand. It's like so, you've never met carnies, so. What I actually do, and I saw a bit, I, 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 Meltzer talked about it a bit when we did the Meltzer in, interview, is I choose to use the shoot interviews, and I've just got to say, well, I personally think that that's bollocks, or that contradicts this other thing that I've found. But um, it's not like that you, you could say shoot interviews aren't a reliable source whatsoever, but I don't know what your backup is for wrestling, because even... There is none. Know, like, there, <laughs> there is none. But, like, I think it's worth saying that, like... Yeah. When this guy shoots off at the hip on a fucking, you know, when he's in a dark period of his life, especially in TNA where it's like you need another source of income because yeah. TNA doesn't pay well enough. But that is uh, the Road Dog Part 2. Thanks so yeah. much for joining us, Christopher Hobbs. And we'll try and do this uh, other times when we under-research something and then you can tell us times the guy tried to fight his boss and it worked out. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week with some goddamn episode. I don't know. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.